Well, it's true, isn't it, that the journey defines the destination. Uh, Think about it today. The journey that you went on was obviously the right one that got you to town church, that got you to Longfield's primary school. You drove or you walked. The way you went determined the destination that you arrived at. Happy? Maybe there was a wrong turn here and there. I doubt it if you've been coming to town church uh, for a long time. The way you went determined the destination you arrived at. <coughs> See, Paul is summing up, Helen said it already to all of us, the children involved uh, as well. Paul is summing this up. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, over the last few weeks and months, we've been looking at exactly the journey that determines the end destination. Think about the journey that we've been on. Think about what Paul has been urging the Christians in Rome to consider, to think about. The house churches in Rome uh, that have a load of Jewish converts and a load of Gentile believers, uh, all are one together in Christ. But he's trying to help them understand the journey, their understanding of sin. He's trying to help them understand then what new life has brought them. He's trying to understand where the law fits in. We've been on this journey, and the journey, Paul is saying in 6.23, determines the end destination. Because we have to go back, right back, far back, to Genesis 3 verse 4, to understand why Paul is writing the letter that he is to the church in Rome. Because in Genesis 3 verse 4, We start our understanding of the greatest lie, the biggest lie. The lie of the devil to mankind. You will not die. Satan, in the form of the serpent, said to Eve, you will not die. And you see from that moment to now, the biggest lie has caught hold of the whole of humanity. You will not die. We live like we will not die. We're invincible. It's only when death pays a visit to someone that we love do we wake up and understand that that is a lie. That that is not a lie. You will not die, says the devil. And what the devil is trying to do is doubt The goodness of God in all of that conversation with Eve. God, you will not die if you eat the tree of good and life. And they doubt the goodness of God, that God has got them, that God will keep them. And of course they eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and and evil. And the lie becomes reality. You will die. Is the message in every book of the Bible. 66 books without fail. You will die. Remember we've looked at this problem several times since Christmas. You will die. We will die. I will die. And you see what Paul is saying in 6.23. Look what he's saying. For the wages of sin is death. Here's your right reward. Remember your first Wage slip, can you remember that? Go on, rattle the memory cage. What was it? For some of you, not not that long ago, Corabel 
has just started earning her first wage. Eight pounds an hour cleaning for her auntie lives down the road. You know my first wage, I've said it a few times. Ten pound for six days a week on a paper round. Remember your first wage. Remember that wage slip. It's a a pay packet. Remember it. What you did earned what you got. The wage that you got was deserved. You worked hard for that wage you do now. It's funny, isn't it, that a lot of people want more wages. I always do. I want more. Incredible that on the last day, we see that here is what is earned. The wages of sin is death. No one will be wanting more wages on that day if they're not in Christ. Adam and Eve experienced death, full abandonment from God. And the devil, since that moment, has been telling us the lie, you will not die. And we carry on in life as though the devil's right. We won't. And we've got to be really careful. The majority of us will be Christians in the room. And as Christians, we've got to be really careful that this lie of the devil doesn't wash over us. That we kind of hold to it in some form. Think about this nominalism. That we're just okay. That everyone's all right. We as Christians, we must not give a false impression that we'll all meet again. Have you been to those sad funerals where there is no hope because the person that has died is not trusted in Christ to our knowledge and the vicar at the front maybe is trying to give a sense of hope? Oh, we'll all meet again. We must be careful that we don't buy into the devil's lie. No, we all will what about the issue of universalism that God's love will ultimately conquer everything don't worry God has it Uh, we assume on God's mercy even if we don't trust in him God loves all he won't let anyone perish or fail again every 66 book every one of the 66 books in the Bible they echo The reverse of the lie, where God says, you will die, you will die. If we deny sin's wickedness, often we think nothing of it. And God urges us to look at the end of the journey. Paul does it frequently to his readers, and he does today. Look at the end of the journey. Don't listen to the lie, because the lie is still going strong. For the wages of sin is death, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. By the way, death there is eternal death. Paul uses eternal life as a contrast, comparison uh, to eternal death. For the wages of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go to the beginning of our reading, knowing that that's the end of the journey. Verse 23 is the end of the journey. That's where we're going to get to. But we'll go back to verse 19. And we know that this is a letter from Paul, don't we? 
He's come and it's gone. It's really hard to separate into sections where Paul stops, where he starts again, what he's reaffirming, what he's starting out as a new journey. It's really tough in the book of Romans to try and separate out and section everything that Paul is saying. But from verse 19, we'll have a little look. And we look at the two masters. Remember, we've been doing a lot of this. The two masters and the outcome of following either. That's what we're going to look at, the two masters. And then in verse 23, the outcome of following either. The two masters. Anyone remember He-Man? It was a great, great cartoon. I think one of my favourites. John Ventress at the back is smiling to himself. He-Man the mast, and the masters of the universe was the strap line. And then off it went. Pete Cockrum's got it as well. He's rolling his eyes, but he loves it, really. He does. He loves it. That was the strap line. He-man and the masters of the universe. Do you know the Bible teaches that there are two universal masters? And so does Paul. Paul teaches this. Sin and righteousness. Verse 19, he says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. What is he doing? What is Paul putting in human terms? Well, Paul knows that we need to grasp the wonder of the union that we have in Christ. This is his, his section. This is what he's looking at, union with Christ. And we go on in chapter 7 to really dive deep into that. And Paul is saying this is where righteousness is, is our master, union with Christ. But Paul, in order for the people in Rome to get this, has to put it in human terms because we're weak to get it. We can't fully grasp it. It's too enormous to understand this union with Christ where righteousness is our master. And so Paul says almost an apology. You see that in verse 19? I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. It's like an apology from Paul. I'm sorry that I'm doing this, says Paul. But again, I want to keep driving through the illustration of freedom and slavery. Because it's so powerful at the time that the readers in Rome understand. So many of the population of the Gracchio Rome world that they lived in were slaves. Hard-hitting stuff for them. So he says, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. You know that there are only two masters in life. You know this. Apologies, says Paul, that I've got, to, I've got to keep driving through this illustration of being a slave and being free. You understand when you're a slave who your master is. You get this. And so he goes again, says Paul. He goes again. Two masters in life. Master sin. Master sin, he pays a wage. It is deserved. It is earned. It is death. That is separation from God and all his goodness. And then there's master righteousness. He brings a gift. It's only a gift. It's not earned. It's not due. It's a gift. And that gift is what? It's righteousness leading to holiness that leads to eternal life with God. If you trust in Jesus, you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's the change of masters. You go from one moment to being a master, to, from being a slave to sin. Your master is sin. 
to another moment of being a slave to righteousness where your master is God. Master righteousness or master sin. And we've looked at that through the illustration of baptism. It's why baptism is such a a great symbol of a different affirmity to a master. Do you remember? Dead. You were in sin and you die in sin to your master sin. And now you're raised to your master righteousness. The gospel cuts the slavery to master sin and brings us into an obedience with master righteousness. So Paul is saying, why would you want to live as though master sin was still in charge? Master sin is not still in charge. Live as though master righteousness had your full allegiance from a slave to an even better slavery, Paul is suggesting. And he's speaking to the Gentile Christians. We get this because of the because of his conversation around uncleanliness and impurity, most likely references to sexual sin. You see that in verse 19. And by mentioning such activities, see what Paul is doing. Paul, Paul is able to assure the Jewish convert that the Gentiles have been profoundly rehabilitated morally by the gospel. Even that uncleanliness, even that impurity has been dealt with. Master sin reigned and ruled. Now master righteousness has taken care of it. We're all, of course, Gentile converts. Unless uh, you're a Jew who now trusts in the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, do you remember when? If you trust in Jesus, do you remember when? Remember when uncleanliness and impurity were the fruits because master sin... Was in control. It was good application for us as a church. So many Christians struggle. Really struggle with the thought of that past life. Where master sin was in charge. When there was a a giving over of our bodies to impurity. It's great application here. When Paul says, do you remember when, verse 20, when you were slaves to sin? Do you remember when you were free from the control of righteousness? Paul is saying now, he calls, he off, saying, offer the parts of your bodies. Go, go now, go, offer them not to sin, not to sexual sin, certainly. But now offer them to Christ, to your master, righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, verse 20, you were free from the control of righteousness. It's good to stop for a moment, I think, and just pause and consider what we're reading. I must get this. I must let these words sink in. I don't know about you, but the the heavy or rich nature of Paul's writing, it, it, it... demands that I stop and consider. It demands that I pay attention and think. See what Paul is saying. There are two masters. We fall into one camp. Master sin or master righteousness. Do you know throughout most of my life I I argued for free will. The Bible says there's no free will. There's nothing like free will. There's two masters. Master sin of which I'm a slave to. You're a slave to. Or master righteousness of which you're a slave to. 
stop and consider that for a moment. We've looked at this, born into Adam, born into sin, now a slave to sin. And Paul is saying, look back, look back, because he's writing to Christians. Of course, you never had free will. Sin was always your master, right from Genesis 3 verse 4. But now do you see your, 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 your master has changed And it's a wonderful master. And this master is well worth serving, well worth being a slave for. And at this point in verse 21, the metaphor shifts from slavery to fruit picking. Where's Paul go here? Look at verse 21 with me. We've gone slavery, slavery. Verse 19, Paul has kind of apologised. I've got to wrap this section up with, with, with another illustration on slavery. But look in verse 21. He's saying, look back. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Remember the things that you used to do, says Paul, when Master Sin was your master? What benefit did you reap? Those things That you are ashamed of. In verse 19. Impurity. Ever increasing wickedness. See Paul wants them to see that their fruit was shameful evidence. In advance of eternal death to come. From a heart that was set up against God. He wants them to see that. Here's how it worked. If you don't obey the law. Which Paul has already said you can't. No one has been able to. Sin is your master. And you were a slave to sin or sinfulness and selfishness. And that meant that the fruits were lust and bitterness and pride and materialism and worry and drivenness and fear. Put your word in there of what used to capture you, of what still threatens you now. These enslaving sins depend upon what the ultimate bottom line was that you were living for. So if you offered yourself to the approval of others, this is what you'll experience. If that was your master, master sin, if that really was the thing that you were working for, living for approval of others, this was what you will experience. This is the fruit, self-pity, hurtful feelings, envy, inadequacy. That was the fruit you experienced. As you gave yourself to the God of approval. Or or if you were enslaved to uh, the sin of success. If success uh, got you as your God. Then you'll experience drivenness and fatigue and worry and fear and so on and so on. You see Paul is saying that that anything that you have worshipped instead of God. Anything that you've held to as as a promise. Then it, it promises much but gives more than Nothing. It gives more than nothing. Nearly nothing, but way more. It gives death. It takes you to death. The only benefit of idolatry is a broken life now, Paul says, and eternal death to come. But in verse 22, here's the positive. Here's where the positive spin, that, that idea of, of, of growth, of reaping. But now that you have been set free, that was in the past, this is now. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. 
See, all that goes on in growing a plant, a bush or a tree, a a fruit tree, the cultivation, the environment, the weather, they're all a means to an end, which is the result. How good is the fruit? How juicy are the strawberries? Paul is saying the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. There are two benefits, says Paul. One in this life. Holiness, a righteous standing with God that leads to holiness now, that needs, leads to a life of satisfaction, a desire uh, to love others, a desire to live out the fruits of the Spirit and eternal life to come. We don't focus on the cultivation, the environment, the, the weather. We, 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 we don't do that. We want to see what the end result is. And Paul says, here's the end result of Now master righteousness, having control of the Christian life and heart. Here's the result. A life of holiness that leads to eternal life. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, da-da-da, my life is not a life of holiness. But Paul is saying, look, it is. Of course, when Master Sin was in control, there was no holiness within you. There was nothing positive to reap. There was no fruit. But now there is. Of course, you might wander back into that life. But sin is no longer your master. Of course you do that. But do you know if you trust in Jesus, it's righteousness that leads to holiness, that leads to the promise of eternal life. It's the juicy Big, fat, red strawberry. That's the fruit that you reap. Yes, in this life, where you see traces of it, where others will see it more within you. But yes, in the life to come, this is what we benefit when master righteousness is in control. Which takes us right to verse 23. For the wages of sin, in Paul's summary verse, is death. Do you get when master sin is in charge? You know what happens? This is what is duly yours. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, as I uh, just mentioned a few things here in verse 23. I'm going to pass couple of punnets of strawberries around. Paul has said that this is the fruit. This is what you will reap. You do reap when you become a slave of God. When Master Righteousness is in charge. It is holiness. This is the, outwork, the outworking of an inside that has been changed. It's like a plump, red, fat strawberry. But the best is yet to come. So the strawberries are coming round. Helen, can you pass one this side? Well, I, there might not be enough for one each, but as you munch your strawberry, let's look on verse 22. And as I wrap it up in verse 23, and we'll sing, we'll get the, the young ones in um, to, to take communion together. Munch away and listen to verse 23 again. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul pulls all the contrasts 
of the last few verses together in one famous verse. Were you able to memorise it? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul does not mean just as sinful works bring death, so obedient works bring life. We saw that crystal clear with Helen, didn't we? Sin gives what we deserve. Sin pays his slaves their just and earned reward. That is death. Do not listen to the devil. You will not die. You will. Death comes to us all. And death in this case, says Paul, to those that didn't trust in Jesus is eternal death. This is without exception or favouritism. This is all people have to look forward to. But eternal life is always a gift from God. You know, serving him does not win our salvation. We're unworthy servants. We get that. Receiving a gift that we do not deserve. And then a new master who offers us a sure and and a certain eternity. Deep fulfilment of working for him in this life. See, Christ has defeated the deadly enemy. He's taken him on. And he's won. And he's made available in its place death. The free gift of eternal life. You know the cross and the resurrection, they change everything. I know you know that, at least you've heard that. My guess is there are still people in the room that don't trust that. My guess is that many of you do. Not guess, I'm pretty certain as I look on you and see your fruits and buy your fruits so you'll be able to tell who their master is, says God. But you know the cross and the resurrection will change everything. We trust in Jesus. Fruit in this life. And ultimate fruit in the life to come, our hope of heaven is absolutely secure. Let's sing of that hope made certain for us by the cross and the resurrection and as we sing we'll get to junior church in and then we'll take communion and we'll ponder again the enormity of the free gift of God that brings the fruit in this life and wonderful fruit in a life to come so let's stand and stand if you're able and let's sing these truths together